Hey guys, this is Samantha, and welcome back to Murderous Intention. Get ready for this episode. It's a shocker. Hey guys, so what if you go to the doctor? You're not feeling good, right? The doctor normally gives you medication so you can feel better. Now if you get a sudden case of illness and you go to the hospital, it's the same thing. Doctor analyzes you, gives you medication so you can feel better. But this case is not the case. You know, um... This doctor is actually the Dr. Death, Harold Shipman. Um, and we're going to go travel to Nottingham, England, okay? And we're going to go on this journey quest, okay, of what this man did, what got him to where he was, and where he decided to fall and become this person that was like, why? Why? You know, you're a physician. You should be caring for people and not choosing to kill them. So on that note, let's go right ahead. So Harold Shipman, um, he was the middle child of a working class family and like i said he was born january 14th 1946. harold's real name is harold frederick shipman but a lot of people at that time called him fred and he was the favorite child of his domineering mother you know um vera she installed in him an early sense of superior superiority um that tainted most of his later relationships leaving him an isolated adolescence with very few friends um which is like the worst thing to do to your child is to make your child think that he is better than everybody else because at the end of the day no one wants to hang out with somebody who's like dude no i'm better than you <laughs> you know Sorry, I'm just laughing at myself because I just thought it was so funny. So when his mother was later diagnosed with a terminal lung cancer, he willingly oversaw her care as she declined. Fascinated by the positive effect that the administrating of morphine had on her suffering until she succumbed to the disease on June 21st, 1963, you know, so, which I'm like, okay, so you're kind of intrigued with the fact that medicine made it a little more easier for her to cope with what's going on. And I, I, I think, in a weird way, you can understand, because like, okay, he understands medicine helps with the pain, 
med this medicine is helping to make it just easier to go on with the next day you know so okay okay if, I will, we'll let this one slide okay that was a red flag just so you guys know red flag right there but we're gonna let it slide so um after her death he was very devastated and he determined to go to medical school and he was admitted to Leeds University Medical School for training two years after her death. Having failed his entrance exam the first time before serving his hospital internship. So that's a little like, what? But okay. And still he was a loner. He met his future wife. Okay. Primrose, which I think that's kind of like cute, very odd name, you know. Um, but remember, this is also in another country, so that's a different, you know, that's a different view of names. I'm used to more of either the Spanish names or the American names. So I think that one, Primrose, that's pretty cool. Um, and they met at, he met her at the age of 19. And they were married when she was 17. So, she was pretty young, let's be honest, you know. And five months pregnant with their first child. Okay, so what a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me you're 19 years old. You got married to your 17 years old, five months pregnant wife. What? What in the same heavens? And no one found this like remotely disgusting. Remotely like, dude, no, that's not, that's a no no. You don't do, no, you don't do that. No one. Okay. Okay. So by nineteen seventy four, he was a father of two. And had joined the medical practice in Todmorden, Yorkshire, where he initially thrived as a family practitioner before allegedly becoming addicted to the painkiller pethidine. He forgot prescription. He forged prescriptions for larger amounts of drugs, and he was forced to leave the practice when caught by his medical colleagues in 1975. So you only lasted one year. Really? You only lasted one year and you acted like a fool? Okay. At which time he entered a drug rehab program. Okay, so we, we can we can, we can give him a benefit, right? Can we give him a benefit? Uh, no, I don't know. I'm not sure. Let's not give him a benefit yet. In the subsequent inquiry, inquiry um, he received a small fine and a conviction of forgery. So then a few years later, we go into the fact that he was later accepted onto the staff at Donningbrook Medical Center in Hyde, where he ingrated himself as a hardworking doctor who enjoyed the trust of patients and colleagues alike. Although he had a reputation of for arrogance amongst the junior staff, he remained on staff there for almost two decades. 
and his behavior inquired um, only minor interest from other healthcare professionals. So they were like, mm, I don't know, but this is a thought, you know. I don't know. I'm not feeling this, Mister. This Doctor Shipman. What do you, what, what, what you think? You know, and it was because there was no thing major at the time occurring. There's no big red flags to the other colleagues, which is like, dude, come on. Why should nobody have seen this stuff? Like the signs, you know. But it is what it is, you know. So we're going to jump right into his crimes. Okay. So the local undertaker noticed that Dr. Shipman's patients seemed to be dying at an unusual high rate and exhibiting similar poses in death. Most were fully clothed and usually sitting up or reclined on a seating. He was concerned enough to approach Shipman about this directly, who reassured him that there was nothing to be concerned about. Later, another medical colleague, Dr. Susan Booth, also found the similarity disturbing, and the local coroner's office was alerted, who then contacted the police. A, A convert investigation followed, but Shipman was cleared, and it appeared that his records were in order. The inquiry failed to contact the General Medical Council and check criminal records, which would have yielded evidence of Shipman's previous record. So later on, you'll find out that after a more thorough investigation, it will be revealed that Shipman altered the medical records of his patients to corroborate their cause of death um which i think is pretty cynical and it's pretty smart as well um so hiding behind his status as a caring family doctor it is almost impossible to establish exactly when shipman began killing his patients or indeed exactly how many died at his hands um And his denial of all charges did nothing to assist the authorities. Um, So his killing spree was only brought to an end thanks to the determination of Angela Woodruff, the daughter of one of his victims, who refused to accept the explanation given for her mother's death. So Catherine Grundy, an active, wealthy 81-year-old widow, was found dead in her home on June 24, 1988, following an earlier visit by Shipman. Woodruff was advised by Shipman that an autopsy was not required, and Grundy was buried in in accordance with her daughter's wishes. So, Woodruff was a lawyer, and had always handled her mother's affairs so it was with some surprise that she discovered that another will existed leaving the bulk of her mother's estate to dr shipman woodruff was convinced that the document was a forgery 
and that Shipman had murdered his mother, forging the will to benefit for, from her death. She alerted the local police where Detective Superintendent Bernard Postels quickly came to the same conclusion upon examination of the evidence. Grunty's body was exhumed and a post-mortem revealed that she had died of a morphine overdose administrated within three hours of her death, precisely within the time frame of Shipman's visit to her. Shipman's home was, evade, was raided, yielding medical records and, old, and odd collections of jewelry, and an old typewriter which provided to be the instrument upon which Grungy forged, which Grungy's forged will had been produced. And then it was immediately apparent to the police from the medical records seized that the case would extend further than the single death in question and priority was given to those deaths. It would be the most productive to investigations, namely victims who had not been cremated and who died following a home visit by Shipman, which was given priority. So Shipman had urged families to cremate their, their relatives in a large number of cases, stressing that no further investigations of their death was necessary, even in instances where these family these relatives had died of causes previously unknown to their family. In situations where they did raise questions, Shipman would provide computerized medical notes that corroborated his cause of death pronouncements. So, and I know this is going to be a, this is a quick one. It's just uh, today, there's a lot of things going on. So I, I figured I, I'll stop in, give a real quick one um, to you guys as I've been pretty busy this week. So, so with that being said, we're going to jump real quick into his trial and the aftermath. So that way we can go through our day. This is mostly like when you're driving and you just need to hear a quick little segment. Okay, guys. So police later established that Shipman would, and in most cases, after these medical notes were handed directly after the killing to the patient to ensure... um, so basically what he would do is he'll type up these medical notes. So if the family came and asked for these notes, there they were. Um, if for some odd reason somebody was to bring something up and say, well, wait, we don't have that. Why is it being proved, said that this is the case? He can be like, well, here's, here's everything I've been through with your relative. And this is the, you know, he has that, you know, now um quote unquote medical notes to prove that he is correct um which is not fair because he should have had notes as he was going not produce things later on you know so like i said you know he he basically would make these notes to make it where it look like what he was doing and what happened was all 
kind of like a not just protocol but um they went along with the the person's records you know their medical records and shows like yep okay i see where that led to oh i didn't know that that happened but okay oh 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 you know so it kind of gives that so what shipment also had failed to grasp was that each alteration of the records would be time stamped by the computer so he didn't think that clearly when he was doing all this refragmenting so enabling police to assert ascertain that exactly which records had been altered to comply with the depth so i kind of gave him a, a, a kind of like a okay wait a minute if we're redacting this and this person died and you now your leader going and yeah yeah you know So, following extensive investigation, which included numerous exhumations, autopsies, the police charged Shipman with 15 individual counts of murder on September 7, 1998, as well as one count of fraudery. Shipman's trial commenced in Preston Crown Court on October 5, 1999. Um, so, there was a by his defense counsel to have Shipman tried in three separate phases. One, the cases for physical evidence, a case without, and the Gonji case, um, where the forgery differentiated it from other cases. So they were basically trying to put it like, well, you know, you shouldn't be putting the forgery case in with his medical part. Um, they're two separate things when technically, yes, it's two separate charges, but they both led into entwined into each other. So yeah, there you go, dude. Yeah. Um, as well as to having damning evidence relating to shipments, fraudulent accumulations of morphine and other drugs were thrown out. And the trial proceeded on the 16 charges including included in the indictment. So, the prosecution asserted that Shipman had killed the 15 patients because he enjoyed exercising control over life and death and dismissed any claims that he has been acting compassionately as none of his victims were surf- was suffering from a long-term illness so nobody had you know cancer um you know like really illnesses at the end of the the end of the day no matter what you did you were just gonna die you know it wasn't that type so woodruff appeared as the first witness her forthright manner and her account of her unremitting determination to get to the truth impressed the jury and the attempts by Shipman defense to undermine her were largely unsuccessful. Like, dude. So next, the government pathologist led the court through the gruesome post-mortem findings where morphine toxicity was the cause of death in most of these instances. 
Therefore, fingerprint analysis of the forge will show that Grungy had never handled the will. Her signature was dismissed by the handwriting expert as a crude forgery. So not even a good forgery. He, he, it was awful. So as the trial progressed on to other victims and the accounts of their relatives, the patterns of Shipman's behavior began became very clear. A lack of compassion, disregard for the wishes of attending relatives, and the reluctance of attempts to attempt to revive patients were bad enough, but another fraud was coming to light. He would pretend to call the emergency services in the priest in the presence of the relatives, then cancel the call out when the patient was discovered to be dead. Telephone records show that no actual calls were ever even made. Like, dude, really? So finally, evidence of his drug hoarding, hoarding and was introduced with false prescribing to patients who didn't require morphine over prescribing to others who did, as well as proof of his visits to the homes of the recently deceased to collect up unused drug supplies for disposal. Shipman's Haiti demeanor throughout the whole trial did not did nothing to assist his defense in painting a picture of a dedicated health care provider. Despite their attempts, so despite those attempts, um, his arrogance and his constantly changing the stories, it was caught like <laughs> to be where. Obviously, you're lying. Obviously, you did nothing to go and try to make your case seem like, no, it, I, I'm right. I'm telling the truth, you know. Um, and you, he, he, he basically made it easy for the jury to see how wrong he was, you know. So, following a malicious summation by the judge and a caution to the jury that no one had actually witnessed Shipman kill any of his patients. The jury was sufficiently convinced by the testimony and evidence pre presented and unanimously found Shipman guilty of all charges, 15 counts of murder and one of forgery. And the afternoon of January 31st, 2000, the judge passed 15 life sentence as well as four year sentence for forgery, which he commuted to a whole life sentence, effectively removing any possibility of parole. Shipman, Shipman was incarcerated at Dunham, Durham prison, sorry. <laughs> Um, the fact that a doctor had killed 15 patients sends a shudder through the medical community, but this was to prove insufficient in light of further investigations that deviled uh, more deeply into his patient's caseless history. A clinic, a clinical audit um, conducted by professional 
by Professor Richard Baker of the University of Linchester. Now, please forgive me if I say these names, these um places wrong. Um, I'm not really familiar with some of these places, so forgive me on that. Um, so he examined the number and patterns of death in Shipman's practice and compared them with those of other practitioners. Um, it was found that the rate of deaths amongst his elderly patients were significantly significantly higher and clustered at certain times of days and that shipment was in attendance in a disproportionate amount of high numbers of these cases. The audit um, goes on to estimate that he may have been responsible for the deaths of at least, and I do say at least, 236 patients over a 24-year period. So for 24 long acts years, this man has been offing his patients. <coughs> Sorry. And that's like, what the heck, man? Come on. <coughs> they were already going to die due to old age because we're all prone to die at one point or another in our life. You know, it, it's a circle of life. It's going to happen. But to have somebody come in and just say, you know what? I'm play God mode. And eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Oh, you, you're gone. You know, that's where I'm just like, what the French? Why? There was nothing. <laughs> yeah, man. You know? Like, why do that? But that's nor here or there. So let's continue with this. So, separately, an inquiry commission um, chaired by the High Court Judge Damn Janet Smith examined the records of 500 patients who died, okay, <clears throat> while in shipment's care. And the 2,000-page report concluded that, I'm saying that Wait one second <laughs> I don't know why my throat's like getting um that it was likely that he had murdered at least 218 of his patients although the numbers was offered by Dame Janet as an estimation rather than a precise calculation as certain cases presented insufficient evidence to allow for certainty. The commission further spec spectated, um, speculated that Shipman might have been addicted to killing and was critical and it was critical of police investigation procedures, claiming that the lack of experience of the investigation officers resulted in missed opportunities to bring Shipman to justice earlier. <laughs> you know? Damn. Um, he may in fact have taken his first victim within months of obtaining his license to practice medicine. 67 years old, Margaret Thompson, who died in March 1971 while recovering from a stroke 
but deaths prior to 1975 were never officially proven. Whatever the exact number, the sheer scale of his murderous activities meant that Shipman was catapulting from British patient, patient killer to the most prolific kill, known serial killer in the world. He remained at Durham Prison throughout these investigations, maintaining his innocence and was scrutinized, defending, defended by his wife. Oh, wait, my bad. Scrutinized. <laughs> uh, so his wife was still by his side, defending his ass, you know, and his family was doing the same. So he was then moved to Wakefield Prison in June 2003. So, which made visits for his family a lot easier for them. So, on January 13, 2004, a year later, Ship Shipman was discovered hanging in his prison cell at Wakefield, having used bed sheets to tie from the window bars of his cell. Um, the remains, there remain some mysteries about the whereabouts of his remains, with some claim that his body is still in a Shifford morgue, while others believe that his family has custody of his body, believing that he may have been murdered in his cell and wishing to delay his interment pending further tests. Um, so that is what I have so far. Um, other than that, yeah. But like I said, most people are like, okay. Um, so by this time, his family already does have it there. His body, you know, they did what they had to do. Got that done did. Boop, boop, boop. Okay. Um, but it's sad, you know, because apparently, you know, to become a, a doctor, you're, you can't be a dumb person. You're not a dumb person to be a doctor. Um, but this act, this act was like, dude, why? What was the purpose of killing people who want on, their only thing that they did was they got sick and sought help from who they're supposed to seek it from their practitioner their health care practitioner a medical personnel someone who is designed and took an oath to do no harm and help those that are ill yet he chose a different path he chose the path of Ooh, let me see how I can get you out of this world and never again in my office. And that's where it's sad, being honest. That's where it's sad. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, just to go ahead and let you guys know, you know, it, it's a it's a sad case anyway. I'm just saying it's a sad case. Um, 
So this was the case of Harold Shipman. Um, if you want, you can always comment. Let us know what you think. Um, you can always email us at murdersintention21 at gmail.com. Or you can Instagram us at murderous underscore intentions underscore podcast. Okay. And you can tweet us at MI True Cry Podcast. Thank you guys so much and for listening to us. Um, this has been another solo episode from me. Uh, Anuel is still in Puerto Rico. Like I said, he's gonna, he's on a two-month vacation. Um, and I hope he's enjoying himself. Well, that is it for today. I will see you guys later. Bye.